0: Let's take up our Bibles this morning, shall we? On this Christmas day, as 2022 is drawing to a close, 2023 is about to begin the unfolding of God's positive plan to save mankind and raise up a people unto himself, and a bride for his Son, Christ Jesus. Let's not turn to Hebrews this morning. Let's turn to Luke. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. As we sang in our hymns this morning, we will now read and study the words that God gave the angels and thereby their message in the scriptures to us. Luke chapter 1, please, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their their Lord. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Shall we pray together this morning? Lord God, you reign on high. Master of all things, dictator of all events. We read today of your perfect plan and your messengers, your angels whom you sent to various ones in preparation for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Show us this message, Lord, that we may know, that we may know you. And even more so, Lord, that the vision of your Son, Jesus Christ, would come clear. Bless us with this, we pray, and grow us through this, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Christmas and Christmas carols. Many of us love to sing Christmas carols. It's traditional. It's wonderful. It's musical. It's delightful. It's interesting to note that our carols encompass Sometimes paraphrased and sometimes verbatim, the very words of scripture. So there's a sense in which we join with the angels that we have heard on high, that we're sweetly singing o'er the plain. We join them in singing truths. For indeed, that's what hymnody should always be. That's what music should always be in God's church is, is a reflection, but not just a reflection, it's a repetition. It is a repetition put to music of the very words of God and the truths that he has shared so that we will be able to not only sing of them but know them by verse and know them with a tune associated with them. And in that, they become indelibly stamped upon our minds, don't they? We can remember them. We can remember these truths. I'd like to reassociate you with some titles, some verses, some lines, some phrases from our hymnal, from the Christmas carols, and in particular, we're going to hear in the Bible from, from the angels. They so powerfully proclaimed the advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Shall we listen to their message today together? And may their words breathe new life and lend meaning to some of our traditional Christmas carols for angels we have heard on high. What is a carol anyway? It's not a corral, that's different, although I've been caught spelling it that way. A little too Western. A carol. A Christmas carol, Old English around a dance around dance with joy it's to be done with praise it's to be done with happiness it's to be done with rejoicing so a christmas carol is an advent carol to be done with joy and praise and singing that brings us to our first point this morning our first look into the hymnody of angels our first look into Their message and an excerpt from our hymnal as well. The first Noel. The first Noel. The angels did say, but in this case, the first Noel, and if you look at it, it wasn't to the angels, it was actually, it wasn't to the shepherds, it was to Zacharias in the temple in the text that we just read. The first Noel. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 11, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zacharias saw him. And a message comes, a message comes about the son that he would have. His barren wife, Elizabeth, would become pregnant, would deliver a child. This child would bring joy and gladness and rejoicing at his birth. In the sight of God, He would be great. He would be a Nazarite. He shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, He'd be a Nazarite from his birth. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from His mother's womb. And now we turn to this. It tells us this first Noel, that hark, the herald. Hark the herald, not the angels heralding in this case, but that this one who is coming, this child, was a herald. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord. And verse 17, and he will also go before him in the spirit. He will go for him, who? The Lord their God. The Lord God, he is going before the Lord. He will be an announcer for the Lord. This is John the Baptist becoming in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. By the way, if you'll allow me to just remark, when we sing the first Noel, you realize that uh, a Noel is actually a Christmas carol. The first Noel is the first carol. It is from the French, natal. His natal birth we just sang. The baby came and we sing. But hark the herald, someone would go before him. This baby, not John the Baptist, but another who is named here by the angel as going before their God, he shall go before him. The one following John in history, and even in order of birth, has need of a herald, because he is indeed the Son of God. He is called the Prince, or the Prince of Peace. And that word Prince comes to us and is defined this way. It means the principal one, the prime one, he of primogeniture, the first, his only begotten son, the prince of the kingdom of heaven. The prince of the kingdom of David. He is the one to inherit it all. El Primo. The Prince. He is the Lord. The Lord is following John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a herald, and the angels, these messengers of the Lord. And by the way, that's what angel means. An angel is one who gives messages for the Lord. God sends them out and uses their mouths to speak to his people, sometimes to one at a time and others to many or more. At the end of the history of this age, the angels will again proclaim, and none will miss the message of the Lord. But here they're announcing John the Baptist, the herald of the king, the herald of the Son of God. Verse 15 says he will be great. He'll be honored. He was chosen to announce the Lord. What greater honor could anyone ever have than one who was allowed to proclaim the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And just as I say those words, I wonder to myself, is that how we think? Is it an honor to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming? Because that's exactly what we're to do in this age, brothers and sisters. What is the purpose of the church? Is to train up Christians into maturity and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that they may be honored to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Would we be silent? What would it have been like if John the Baptist said nothing? So that's just a gig I don't want. Thanks for the Holy Spirit and all that. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there. And even in the United States of America today, churches are closed. An article from my friend in the congregation sent to me just that last night about so many churches across the nation because, inconveniently, Christmas Eve happened to fall on a Saturday night. And... Christmas fell on a Sunday, which ruins all our Christmas plans. You know, the important ones. The presents under the tree. Thank you for pagan influence. What are we talking about? The big dinners, the family, pastors, pastors, pastors across the United States of America, 60% of those who will have Christmas Eve services are not having Sunday service. By the way, Christmas Eve service is not mandated in the scripture. Sunday school is not mandated in the scripture. Worship service on Sunday is mandated in the scripture. When we get to chapter 10 of Hebrews, I might spend some time there. meeting together the saints. How could it be that on Christmas Day we wouldn't come to worship God at the place he dictated we worship? We wouldn't proclaim him. That means we've already decided our proclamation ends with our own self-giving to ourselves. And it's being led from pulpits. Is not the people not showing up and poor pastors praying for their people saying, where are your people, Lord? I would be here. I would serve them. I would preach to them. I would share with them. We would join together. Where are they? That's not the case. The pastors don't want to go. Like pastor, like people. Just like Israel in the days of Jeremiah. Like Israel in the days of Ezekiel. You name your prophet. Prophets prophesy lies, they speak peace when there is no peace, and my people love it so. Honored to be able to spread the gospel begins with where you place your body on Sundays. Where are your priorities? If Jesus is the primo one, the prince, the prime, the king, the Lord, the son of God, God himself, and you are the one who has given the privilege of spreading that news, you miss greatness, you miss honor with a closed mouth and a body that stays home. John the Baptist did not do this. John the Baptist's ministry began before the ministry of Christ. He began alone. We see no collaboration between Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus saying, okay, I want you to go here, here, and here. You know, try the desert thing. I think that's going to be a big ministry site. People will really show up. There was none of that. As a matter of fact, it was hard. He didn't go into the cities and baptize people. He went in the wilderness, and he preached the coming of the Lord, and people came. It's the opposite of the theology, the opposite of what is being taught in our nation. If we make it easy for the people, they will come. Build them more entertainments. Give them more things when they come to church. Make it easy, and they'll come. You know what? Real Christians don't need that, don't want those distractions. They want to worship. They want to glorify God, and that's why you're here today. That's why I'm here today. And we can thank God that he's placed that on our hearts to be here today with John the Baptist. For angels we have heard on high. And hark the herald, let us sing. John 1, Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? In the midst of his ministry, they wanted to know, who is this guy? In verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. If you think I'm the Christ, I'm not. You know, it's important for all of us Christians to say, I'm not Christ. I'm just here to tell you about him. It isn't about me, it's about him. And that's exactly what he says. And then they asked him, Are you the, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. See, both of those were prophesied in the prophets that Elijah would come before Messiah and that God would raise up a prophet, one like Moses, Deuteronomy 18. They wondered. Then he said, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? This is profound. This is humble, but this expresses the honor he feels in being a herald of the king. And John the Baptist said, quote, and he now quotes scripture. This is a fulfillment of scripture in the mouth of he who fulfills it. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord." He is proclaiming himself to be a herald, a messenger of God, and an ambassador going before his king, before his lord, before his master. He is an official messenger with news. I have news, he says, news, news. Not just Christ is born today. Christ is coming after me. I am making straight the way of the Lord. I am crying in the wilderness. Prepare yourself. He's coming. In our age, that task is ours. The second coming. Hark the Herald. Is the church singing? John, again, chapter 1, skipping down to verse 27, if you had gone there in your Bibles, he announces this. He said, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose." He understands his position, that he is the lower and his master is the higher, and there's one coming after him. Two verses later in 29, he says, It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and here he is as the herald. He stands up, he sees Jesus. Jesus is coming, and what does he say? To all of the crowds, to all of those around him, he says these words Behold! The entire ministry of baptism, the entire ministry of calling people to repent, and that was the ministry of John the Baptist. His first words in Matthew, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sins, what repent means, and turn and prepare your hearts for the coming of God. If God was coming today, what would you want to be doing? Oh, we'll just set him an extra place at that Christmas table, eh? Does he need a present under a tree? Don't want him to feel left out. What would we really be doing? What would our preparations be like? If you knew today you would meet God's Son in person. John says, Behold! Would we be proclaiming? Would we be preparing? Would we say this, behold the Lamb of God. Would you stand up to the world and say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The ministry of John the Baptist was a herald. That was his message. Repent. God the Savior comes. John 1.34, John the Baptist heralds these words, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I pray when we sing Hark the Herald from now on in the rest of our lives, we will look at ourselves as heralds, and that our first Noel, our Christmas carol, will always be on our lips. i turn now to another Christmas carol that calls to us. It calls to us in this way, O come all ye faithful. O come all ye faithful. Again, we work at these same verses in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel. Notice it didn't say all of the children of Israel. and He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That is what the message of repentance is. Turn from, turn to, from the world, from your sin, from yourself, to the living and true God. Turn from your vain idols and from the ways of the world and to the living God. In this last portion of verse 17, it says, And turn the hearts of fathers to the children. Oh, would that be a day. Oh, would that be a day. This is a day in which we live when I I constantly say, and I constantly observe, and I know you do too, where you're saying, Where are the men? And I don't mean males. I mean men, males who wear the mantle of an adult man and Carry the responsibility of fatherhood. Even desire the responsibility of fatherhood. That's one of the reasons we were created to be Adam, a father, Eve, a mother. Fill the earth and multiply. Don't stop till I tell you. He hasn't told us to stop. What's going on? Become a father. Become a mother. Get married first. Regrettably, we live in a society. I actually have to say that in case somebody listens to this online and misses that part. The responsibility of many will turn the hearts of fathers to the children. No longer will they be more worried about their own selves, their own pastimes, their own achievements, their own wants and desires, their own fun, but to their children and the raising thereof, which is a responsibility. If you want to grow up yourself, first get married. That's a sanctifying field. And then have children. God's working, baby. Unless you check out. He'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children, listen, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. There is wisdom, God's wisdom, of those who are just. And why? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A people that is prepared for the Lord to come back are those kinds of people, whether it was for his first advent or his second. It is interesting. It is poignant. It's powerful. It's almost paradoxical. The book of the Bible, that quote in 17 of chapter 1 in Luke came from. That came from this book. It came from a book called Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last one, the last things that God would say for 400 years until, hark, the herald angels sing, until John the Baptist. This book are God's last words to his people Israel, to the Jews. It's a horrible book. It's full of judgments. I mean horrible in the sense that when you look at the lives of the people therein described, it is full of family relationships falling apart. Of mixed marriages where Israel is marrying into the pagan world and culture and bringing it into themselves. Of constant divorce. Do you know where we know how God feels about divorce and family? We find it here in Malachi. Chapter 2, verse 14, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord, what reason what? That you're going to get in trouble. You're going to have punishment. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. The marriage covenant, the marriage vow, God is a witness. Why do we have it in church? Why is it so important? Because it is a vow. It is an oath. And God is the witness of it between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt, listen, treacherously. Yet she is your companion, and your wife by covenant. Where are the men? Where are the fathers? Verse 15, but he did not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. We live in a culture where treachery from men to their wives is a constant thing, and it's in the church at such a level. And the church disciplines it not, recognizes it not, and teaches it not, by and large. Verse 16 is probably the most oft-quoted, and it needs to be more quoted, It tells us of the heart of God about marriage. Verse 16, For the Lord God of Israel says that he, listen, hates divorce. If you wonder how God feels, there it is. There's no equivocation. There's no way of moving it to the side. This is how God feels about it. And why does he say that? Why? One, he's been a witness. Two, he's mentioned oneness. And now he says this, it, for it covers, he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with what? With violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You want a literal, literal translation, that English word violence I just read? You know what it's literally translated as? Blood. It covers a man's robes with blood. You want to kill yourself? Get a divorce! The oneness bond that God has made witness in marriage to, when you rip that apart, you bleed. It's violent. It's radical. It's crazy. It's disastrous kills the heart, it kills the soul, it kills the mind. And any of you who have been through them voluntarily or involuntarily know. And we're not preaching this morning about going back and beating yourself over the head with it. I'm going forward and saying know how to say it now. John the Baptist was going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. He was going to go back, and he was going to make a people ready for the Lord. And it comes in the context of marriage and family that he says these things are going to come. It's hope. In the midst of despair, when a culture has gone totally down the moral pathway that Israel had gone, and so have we. I'm not saying we're a direct parallel to Israel, but I am saying he's coming again. And so, come all ye faithful. Come all ye faithful. Fathers, turn your hearts to children. Become wise. The wisdom of the just. Make a people prepared for the Lord. That's what we do in church. Prepare you for the Lord so that you can go out and prepare others. For the coming of the lord oh come all ye faithful and now go tell it on the mountain go tell it on the mountain in the spirit and power of elijah in the spirit and power of elijah john the baptist will come and as soon as you say elijah i hope your mind springs forth with the greatest event in the prophetic life of elijah King Ahab, Queen Jezebel. There's a reason Jezebel's not a name. People name their daughters. And King Ahab was a bad guy even in Moby Dick. Twisted, sinful king and queen. Killed the prophets of Israel. Elijah alone stood before them, challenged all the prophets, 400 prophets of Baal and other other false prophets as well, up on Mount Carmel. Go tell it on the mountain. Did he hide? He kind of wanted to, but he went up on the mountain. And he challenged the prophets of Baal. And God delivered by a great delivery. And the offering of Elijah was accepted by fire and force of God. And the prophets of Baal were slain. Go tell it on the mountain. This one who comes to herald the king will come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And as Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. As he said himself, I am the voice. I am the voice. One crying in the wilderness. What is your voice? Where is it today? Where's our voices in this country? When churches are closed, on Sunday, on Christmas Day. Next, the angels give us lyrics for the carols we sing as well. We go a little farther in the book of Luke to Luke, the first chapter again. I want to start a little earlier, a little further forward here. And we ask with Mary, or we sing with Mary, what child is this? The angels appear to Mary. The angels give her a message. It is a message of grandeur. It's a message of hope. It's a, a message that everyone would want to have who is a, a woman in Israel. Then the angel, verse 30, says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And here's the message of the angel, And behold, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Isn't it so wonderful? This is a, Christmas is a baby story, but it's about God. The power of God taking a barren woman, Elizabeth, with her husband and a baby, John the Baptist. The power of God with a virgin who's never known a man by the power of the Holy Spirit conceives shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He goes on to say, He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, reminding us that Mary is of the line and lineage of David as was Joseph. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever meaning all of Israel, not just Judah, all of Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be what? No end. What a message. Uh, Angels, we've heard on high. But then Mary asks a very practical question. I think she was a rather practical young girl. And she was young. Listen to this. Then Mary said to the angel, so respectfully but inquisitively, how can this be since I do not know a man. How can this be? What child is this? How can this be? I know how the world works. There can be no child unless a man and a woman come together. How could it be that I shall bear this child if I have not known a man? What child is this? Well, the angels have been heard on high. And then he tells her, Oh, come, O come from our hymns, Emmanuel, how can this be? Oh come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's look now at verse 35. As we read along here, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called, listen, the Son of who? God. O come, O come, Emmanuel. What does that mean again? Oh yeah. God with us. God dwelling with us through this child. How can this be? And some of you might say, well, what what happened when the Holy Spirit came over? I'll tell you exactly what I know. I know this, what Hark the Herald Angels sang, that somehow this would work. The God who spoke the world into existence has no problem with this. The Holy Spirit who hovered over the face of the earth and made it fertile, made it life, made it go. This is not a problem. We are finite. We can't get it. God doesn't even worry about it. And how did this union be formed, this God-man? I don't know. Do I need to know? I mean, really, do I need to understand how the God-man Thing works? What happened in the incarnation? What is in the theological hypostatic union? Well, I know what it is God, man, Jesus. Do I really need to know more than that? No. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, that's what you need to say. Who wants anybody else? To a virgin, to a virgin. It's a hard mystery to understand, and it always has been. Even the whole idea of what this child would do is proclaimed if, in a magnificent way by the Apostle Paul later in history, after Christ has been crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and Paul, the apostle, begins his ministry. He writes these words, But if I'm delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. What should we do in church? What should we do in church on Christmas Day? Here's how you conduct yourself in the house of God. It's so amazing what he says next, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of truth. This is the place where the foundation of truth is and the pillar that upholds that truth goes out. And without controversy, he goes on to say, great is the mystery of godliness. Listen to the words he says. Right after saying how to conduct yourself in the church comes this. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The end, let's go home. Well, I'm not actually done. Because great is the mystery of godliness. And we will study this, we will look at this, we will unfold this, we will see to it, we will understand it, we will seek in church, which is a pillar and ground of truth. Why on Christmas Day would I fill myself with anything else but the truth of God about His Son, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate with the world's trappings of idolatry? But yet that's where we end up. They're sucking at us. They're pulling us. They're trying to bring us into the sand of the quicksand and drown us under the weight of it all. And it's only because we don't look up. But when we do, we can say, what is the mystery of godliness? I determined in my heart I would not touch those verses anymore because time is short. I will just say what John said John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hark the heralds. This godliness, what child is this? One to be proclaimed. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What to do in church, what to do everywhere, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Do you believe that today? You know, if you just allow me to to step into my childhood just a moment, maybe touch a bit of yours, maybe touch a bit of you, you kids who are out there, because there's something nostalgic about Christmas. There's something that we're drawn to. There's there's some sort of thing that happens. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a warm, fuzzy, yeah. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's more special. Everything in the world around is sort of starting to focus on something else and we know it's something big in our childhood. It is easy to become selfish about it, you know, and as we used to have these things called catalogs to go through them and circle the toys that you wanted and conspicuously leave them open where your parents might see them or mention it in a very crafty way that they don't realize you're asking for something, which of course they do. But more than that, more than that, it's Christmas. There's a deepness to it, and you kind of know something's happening here. And I think even with all the adulterations of the world around us, and even though we may not have the date right of Jesus' birth, and I don't think we do, that doesn't really prevent us from celebrating his birth, does it? It shouldn't because it's part of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and listen to this, and lo, I am with you always. Not just at Christmas. I find that our culture of Christmas sometimes limits us in the seeking of God and that feeling. Pastor, are you getting touchy-feely? Are you getting mystical? Yeah. See, part of spirituality is non-understandable. There are feelings to it. If they're uninformed feelings, that's mysticism. If they're biblically informed feelings, that's worship. That's worship. Children, young people, there's no old people here, you people. That's where you get the feeling. Worship. Teaching the nations to worship. To know God, to get close to their God, to feel their God, because they know their God. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Glory to the newborn king, and Luke 1: 32 and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David he shall fulfill the promise of God to King David in second Samuel we have God's covenant with David the king and when God makes a promise it's a good one. God says to David and 2 Samuel 7, 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, i.e. when you're dead, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body. This is why Christ had to be human, had to be from Mary of the line of David, had to be legally of the line of David through Matthew's genealogy of Joseph. Come from your body, and I, God says, will establish his kingdom. HE SHALL BUILD A HOUSE FOR MY NAME, AND I WILL ESTABLISH THE THRONE OF HIS KINGDOM, HOW LONG? FOREVER. I WILL BE HIS FATHER, LISTEN, AND HE WILL BE MY SON. O COME, O COME, EMMANUEL THE KING. AND HE WILL RULE WITH TRUTH AND GRACE. HE RULES THE WORLD WITH TRUTH AND GRACE. AS THE KING, HE WILL HAVE A RULE. HE WILL HAVE A REIGN. And we will sing this carol more joyously, I think, on that day when he reigns, will we not? How great it will be to stand with the throngs of believers from down through the ages when Christ the King is reigning. And we will just say it because it will be so true and so evident and so obvious and so peaceful. He rules the world with truth and grace. As it says in Luke one thirty three, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end. God had told Ezekiel, and he proclaimed to the people of Israel, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. My servant David, a primo among them. Well, it all came about on a midnight clear to the shepherds. Chapter 2. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in the manger. Why was there no room at the inn? Because this was where he must be. And it became a sign from the messenger. And suddenly there was with the angel Christmas carols, the first Noel, for hark the herald, the angels, are about to sing. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came upon a midnight clear, the angels appeared to the shepherds. And it brought joy to the world. The reason you have any joy, Christian, is this. You know, happiness is the drug that the world sells. It says, come, fill yourself at my trough. Your own personal happiness, your own personal well-being, your own personal success. Be happy. Oh, it's okay. Get a divorce as long as you're happy. Take that job. It doesn't matter what you leave behind, as long as you're happy. Don't bother about being responsible, as long as you're happy. Sure, truer the world, sample its delights. Be happy. That drug is sold continually, and it's like, like a marmalade that is spread upon terribly burnt toast to try and cover the rancid flavor of burned bread. At first, you can taste only the jam, only the marmalade, but then comes the rancid, horrible, burnt aftertaste. You're eating the dust of a life lost. There was no happiness. It was a charade. Joy, on the other hand, joy to the world is a deep, abiding contentment. In the midst of whatever the circumstances of life are, loss of health, loss of loved ones, loss of anything you hold dear, a joy knowing that the purposes of God are unfolding and teaching you and bringing you closer to your God. It is an exuberant outpouring from the heart that worships and depends upon God to cover the blackened areas of our life that we live with his blood and made us new, not just different toast, new toast, never to be toasted in the fires of hell. Can I say that on Christmas? And he came in a little town of Bethlehem. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. What city, what was that? That was Bethlehem the house of bread. He who would later say, I am the bread of life, I am the manna that has come down from heaven, was born in the city of David, the city of bread, where God would send the bread of life, shall be to all people. Not just kings, not just emperors, not just nobles, devout shepherds. Doing their job, out in the fields at night, doing their job. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was Jesus' custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he handed the book, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were upon him, and Jesus said, Today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the night of our dear Savior's birth. It came upon a midnight clear in a little town of Bethlehem. It was the night of our dear Savior's birth. He is the Word that saves. He is the God that saves. He is the sacrifice that saves. He is the High Priest who leads us to God in salvation, covered by His blood. Isaiah 45, 21, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. And you shall know no God but me. For there is no Savior besides me this is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Jesus' words. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There is only one Savior, God. Jesus and God are one. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah, Holy Spirit. Oh, three in one, we magnify thy name. For this is Christmas. A work of Father, a work of Son, a work of Holy Spirit. Three in one. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. May it come from our lips in faith. May it come out of our mouths in proclamation. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.